As Mary Lynn indicated, we are looking to the book of Genesis, the first chapter. Hope you'll find that on your bulletin insert so we can read the Word of God together as in a unison reading. Genesis 1, where we'll begin to read at verse 26 and read through the end of the chapter. So let us read the Word of God together. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Back in the early 1980s, when I was the associate pastor of this congregation, your senior pastor, Bob Robinson, was teaching me a lot of different things, many having to do with the pastoral ministry and administration and the life of the church and those kinds of things. But he also took his own time uh, to teach me how to uh, refinish antique furniture. I tell people that he taught me a trade. I don't know if that meant he didn't think I'd make it in the ministry or not. But I could always fall back on, on refinishing furniture. And because I own some antiques and have refinished some in my time, I find the PBS show, Antiques Roadshow, very entertaining and very interesting. If you've never watched that show, you know, uh, antiques experts and appraisers go all over our nation meeting with ordinary people like you and me to appraise the treasures that we bring. And what I especially enjoy about that show is when someone says they've found something in a yard sale for two or three dollars and it turns out to be a, an original Tiffany piece of glass or some really nice piece of artwork from some well-known painter. I mean, that's where the real value or worth is found in the originality, in the one who's created it or made it. I've seen examples of Chippendale chairs on that show where the owner thinks that they have an original and the experts will proceed to tell them why 
they have not an original but about a 100 or 125 year old reproduction. And when that kind of thing happens, the appraisers normally say sort of the same thing. They'll say something like, you have a nice chair, it's worth about $2,500, but had it been a Chippendale chair, an original, in its original finish, it would be about $125,000. Now, I don't think I'll ever see or know a chair that's worth that much money. I just don't think I need to sit that badly. But, uh, but we understand where antique aficionados are coming from, the kind of people who have that much money to pay for a chair. They're paying for the original. It's all about the maker. It's all about the Creator. And you know, Thomas Chippendale was an English cabinet maker who lived and worked most of the 18th century. And his work became so popular that an entire style of furniture has been attributed to him and modeled after the pieces he made. But he's the original Creator of that style. And that's supposedly why his examples are worth so much money. I say all of this to make the point that we see the same kind of principle to some extent at work in our passage of Scripture this morning in regard to, to us, to ourselves and our value or worth because of our Creator, because of our Maker. Genesis 1 reminds us that we are made by God and made in His image and thus we are very special. And this reality provides a solid basis for our self-worth all of our days, regardless of what happens to us, regardless of how sick we might be one day. It's still about our worth and value as creations of God. It's not because of anything we've done or not done. It's not our education. It's not our accomplishments. It's not our gifts, skills, or talents. It's because we're made in God's image and have been given the responsibility of dominion or rule over all of His creation. And this is true, again, whether we're young or old whether we're highly educated or not educated at all, whether we're mentally or physically challenged or not, the value is still there. This text in Genesis is part of the scriptural foundation as to why we have and should have a high regard for human life because God is the creator. God is the maker. God is the one who gives, Scripture tells us, and the one who takes away. And this is also part of the foundation of Jesus' teaching and His sacrificial life. It's part of why He was willing to die on the cross and why it was God's plan for Him to do so, to save these people created in His image, to save people like you and me whose sin should send us to hell, but whose grace in Jesus Christ provides us with life forevermore. So the worth is there due to the Maker. Because we are authentic, so to speak. Because Christ died for us and because, as this passage makes clear, we have a God-given responsibility. You know, in our places 
of employment, only those who are most valuable to the company or the district or whatever it happens to be are given the greatest responsibility. And God has given us as human beings the responsibility of rule over everything that He has made. You see, out of every type of creature He created, only human beings are given this responsibility. This is why, scripturally speaking, we are more important than the animals, than the rest of God's creation, because we're the only ones made in His image, and we are the only one given this special responsibility. And don't misunderstand this word dominion. Even though it means rule, it doesn't have anything to do with exploitation or abuse or any kind of heavy-handedness. And that's true because we are to rule as God's agents. We are to rule as He rules. And so we have to ask ourselves how, in fact, does God rule over all of His creation? Does He abuse? Does He exploit? And the answer, of course, is no. In His Son, Jesus Christ, whom, God, whom John's Gospel tells us makes God known, we can see that Jesus rules by serving. The Lordship of Jesus is all about servanthood living. Jesus humbled Himself, Paul tells us in Philippians 2, to take on the form of flesh and He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, so that He might love us in a sacrificial way. You know, Jesus knew He would be a sacrifice. John the Baptist knew it. He said, look, there goes the Lamb of God, a sacrificial term if I've ever heard it. The Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. So we can see that this dominion has to do with serving and sacrificing ourselves for the well-being of every other creature and bringing the promise of each to fruition. Our role is to see that, that God's creation becomes what it's fully intended to be. Because of our worth, we're expected to live in a certain way in which the love of God in Jesus is reflected and given to others so that we might have a positive effect on the world around us. That's part of what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when He says, Let your light so shine that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. This is also part of what Paul's getting at in Ephesians 4 when he implores us to, to put off the old nature. It's like he's talking about clothing there, like we would take off a coat, put off the old nature which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts and instead put on the new nature created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you hear that? Created after the likeness of God. Paul there in Ephesians 4 is recalling this teaching here in Genesis 1. Because we have worth, because we are created in God's image and recreated in Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit, we are to take off the old nature 
and put on the new. And that's not something that happens just one time. That's something we do every single day because Paul's words are in the present tense. They're in the Greek. We continually put off the old. We continually put on the new and the decisions we make each day and the things that we choose to do as well as the things we choose not to do because, precisely because we're trying to put off that old nature, the way of the world, the way of sin. And we need to make sure that the people around us hear this good news of our worth, the value that we have in God's sight, especially do our children and our young people need to hear this. You have to know that there are a lot of children out there in the world today who think they are worthless because of how they're treated at home, because of how they receive no love, no support, no encouragement. And we need to make sure that we tell our children and our young people how valuable, how loved they are that God sent His own Son, Jesus, into the world to die on the cross for them. That's how valuable they really are. I know this is true that young people don't know these things because hundreds of thousands of teenagers continue to have babies without the benefit of marriage. And some quarter of a million per year end up aborting those babies. These young people, our young people, must be told over and over that they are loved, that they have worth, intrinsic worth, because of what God has built into them, making them in His image. And not only by what we say, but also through what we do, the time we give to them, the hugs and attention we give, even while we're reading the paper or watching the game, the time and effort we expend on them and making sure that our, our discipline is fair and consistent and effective. And we must talk to them. You know, the old cliche says that talk is cheap, but talk is effective as well. I once read the results of a study which found out that parents exercise a powerful influence, for example, over their teen's sexual behavior. You know, if you hope to influence your teenager in the scriptural way or your grandchild who's getting ready to be a teenager, three factors are very important. And the first one is to maintain a good, warm relationship with that child. Now, how do we do that? Well, we do that by starting from day one when we bring that child home from the hospital. We pour ourselves into them. We spend time with them. We love them. We affirm them. We encourage them. And we teach them. You remember what Deuteronomy tells us, that while we're rising, while we're sitting, while we're walking, we're always teaching the Word of God to our children. We do that, spending time with them, having some common interests with them, especially 
as they grow. That's, you know, one of the concepts behind the notion of youth ministry and the life of the local congregation. That's why this congregation hired Luke to do youth ministry because we want him to spend time with our young people and have common interests with them and come alongside of you as families to help make sure that our young people and our children learn the kinds of things that they need to learn. Now, he's not the first line of defense. The family is. But he's there to come along beside of you, just as are our chaperones, our adult advisors who go with our young people on trips. But as parents, that's your responsibility first. You know, when I was growing up, along with my brother, he was three years older than I was, my dad was always taking us everywhere. You know, if he went to a work day at the church, he took us along. If he was going hunting, even when we were too young to even have a gun, he took us along on the hunt. When he learned how to play golf, he made sure that we learned how to play golf so that we were playing golf together. When he decided to buy a place on Lake Norman and buy a boat and learn how to water ski, he made sure that we learned how to water ski. He was always doing things with us. And then something interesting happened. About the time I was 16 and my brother 19, we were just all about motorcycles. I didn't care a thing about girls then. I was all about motorcycles and cars. And I had a motorcycle, my brother had a motorcycle, my daddy had never said a thing about wanting a motorcycle or even desiring one. It's not like he went around singing, born to be wild, you know. <laughs> but the next thing I know, he buys a motorcycle. Now, why do you think he did that? Because it was another common interest he could have with his boys as they were growing even older. It gave us something to do together. That's what parents do. And parents who treat their children that way make a great impact upon them. That's the first thing. Secondly, let your young people know openly and honestly that you expect them not to have sex before marriage and tell them why. Because God tells us that's not the right thing to do. You know, it's in there all over the place. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5.19, Ephesians 5.3. In fact, I've gone over all of this with our young people just recently here in the church because they asked me to. They had some questions for me. And one of their questions, they had a lot of good questions. One of them was, what is the church's stance on premarital sex? Well, I'm glad they asked me, but they shouldn't have to ask us as parents we ought to be explaining that kind of thing to our children. And of course, it's not just Scripture. There are life-changing consequences when we step outside of God's will for our lives. We all know that. And our children need to understand those life-changing consequences as well. And thirdly, now, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but avoid discussing birth control. 
When you explain all of the birth control options, that's a sort of tacit approval of something you've already told them not to do, something you've told them you expect them not to do. And so why explain it? Now statistically speaking, separately, each of these three factors doubles the likelihood your teenager will choose to postpone sexual activity. Put all three together, and a young person is 12 and a half times more likely to remain sexually inactive than one who has none of these three going for them in their family life. And this is just as true in the urban areas as the suburbs. It's just as true out in the country. And I haven't even yet mentioned the power of prayer that we have available to us as God's children. You see, if we as families, if we as churches, if we as a a community give a strong and consistent message on the value of life and how that translates to sexual abstinence before marriage, we'll be removing the need for abortions at the source, or at least at the source of 250,000 of them a year which is about 20% of those committed in this land today. If we can get people to really see that life is sacred, that it's valuable, then young people, and as they grow older, people of all ages will begin to incorporate this truth into a lifestyle and into the decisions they make each day. And they'll know that life is valuable and that we shouldn't take a life. The choice is worded this way in Deuteronomy 30. This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you and your children may live. We can see that our first choice, that of obeying God, comes by grace. Through faith, His Spirit works in our lives and causes us to want to live in such a way that we put off that old way of life every day and seek to put on the new so that we do live for Him, so that we do reflect His light and His love to the world around us and people will see our lives and give glory to our Father in heaven. The other choice to reject God in His ways leads to Death and destruction, it leads to depravity and darkness. And we see all of that depravity and darkness and death all around us every day in the news. Because so many people are choosing death in our day and time. And I'm not just talking about abortions. Thankfully, those have gone down from a high of about 1.8 million a year that now we're at about one and a quarter million a year as a nation. Thankfully, that's gone down and hopefully that will continue to go down. But I'm also talking about euthanasia. I'm also talking about this whole culture of death we find ourselves in where people go out and they're fed up with life. They don't think they can make it any longer, but instead of killing themselves, what do they do? They take out their whole family. 
They take out everyone in their workplace. They go and kill people in their classroom and then they turn the gun on themselves. This culture of death reflects an uninformed view of life. As one person put it, we are seeing the extinction of the idea that human beings are special and unique in themselves and therefore are specially and uniquely valuable. In other words, the doctrine of being created in God's image is no longer valid for so many people in our world today. The church is not doing its job in proclaiming this good news. Instead of having worth, humans are seen as means, not ends, and thus life is judged by its quality instead of its essence. The good news of the gospel tells us something else. We see it right here in this passage today. God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them and he saw all that he had made and it was very good. Not just good, very good. Or think about Paul in Romans 8 when we cry, Father, it's the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Think about what it means for you to be an heir with Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Or remember Paul's words in Ephesians 2, For God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel, that God made us alive together with Jesus Christ. Choose life because of what God has done in your heart and life by the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of His Holy Spirit and go out into the world and help others to make that same choice. And may God bless us to that end. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we do thank you for a passage of Scripture that helps us to truly reflect on this valuable gift that we've been given that we call life. And we pray that you'll help us to never take it for granted. And we pray that you'll help us to not forget the value that we have and to forget to make sure others around us know that. We so often think that people know something already, that they'll get it without our telling it to them. Dear Father, we pray that you would show us how we're wrong in those areas in life and that you would give us boldness from your Holy Spirit 
to reach out to others and to squelch this terrible culture of death that's all around us. We thank you for life that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's the resurrection and the life. That he who believes in him, even though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. We thank you for that good news of the gospel. And we thank you for the way that you will help us as a church family uh, to make sure that our children and young people uh, know the kinds of truths that they need to know from your holy word. We thank you for all of those who uh, teach Sunday school, who lead children's church, who do children's messages, those who go with our young people on mission trips and conferences and retreats. And we're thankful for all of those who pour time and effort into our children and young people. And we continue to pray for them. We pray for our, all of our children, all of our youth. We pray for their safety and their protection. We pray for their spiritual growth. We pray for your spirit to help them to make wise decisions in their lives and that they might have a desire to always follow you and your will for them and to have a love for your word and a willingness each day to put off that old nature. And we make that prayer for ourselves as well for we too many times are drawn to the way of the world around us. And we pray that you will help us to, to put off that old nature each day. And dear Father, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, the healing power he brings into the lives of those who are sick and ill. And we certainly think of Elsie Schillinglaw today and pray for her and her recuperation from surgery and in her hospital stay and that she might soon return home. We are mindful of those who need the work of your Holy Spirit in comfort and peace and assurance as they grieve deaths of loved ones. We continue to pray for the safety of our men and women in the armed services and all those who uh, keep us safe in our communities. We continue to pray for this nation, especially as we are in an election year, and pray for wisdom as votes are cast and decisions are made. And we pray that you'll help us to be responsible citizens as it comes to the voting process and the election. And dear Father, we Thank you for those who are willing to serve and continue to pray your blessing to be upon them, to give them strength and energy and your wisdom as they make decisions that affect so many lives. And as always, we're thankful for missionaries. We pray for your safety and protection for them and pray that you'll bless them in their labors. And we pray that you'll find us faithful this week in the task that you've given us to do. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
We do want to reaffirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. If you're visiting with us, they're printed in your bulletin. Let's stand together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We have a psalm of dedication today also in your blue psalter, number 205 in the back. This is uh, Psalm 148, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. Now you just have to sing this loud. There's only one way to sing this song, and that's as loud as you can sing. Let's sing together.
bless you and keep you. The Lord make his name to shine upon you, his face to shine upon you, and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.